Lead us not into temptation. We've been making our way through the Lord's Prayer together, examining the details of what Jesus taught us to pray, and now we're nearing the conclusion of our prayer and our sermon series. We've praised God. We've asked God to make their kingdom visible on earth. We've asked for the daily bread that we need for nourishment, and we've asked for forgiveness knowing that God's grace is bigger than we can imagine. Now we ask, lead us not into temptation. I don't know about you, but for me, this isn't a phrase that in our Lord's Prayer that I particularly resonate with. When I think about the word temptation, I generally think of an extreme scenario, of a strong outside force compelling me to make a huge decision that I know is is costly. There is a right and a wrong choice. And while I've certainly been tempted and definitely don't always make the best decisions, I wouldn't say that being tempted is something that I think about on a daily basis. So what do we mean when we ask God not to lead us into temptation and why is this request so important that Jesus would include it in teaching us a daily prayer. I can't think about temptation without thinking about the story of Adam and Eve, the iconic scene of an evil serpent tempting Eve with a juicy, ripe red apple and the promise of knowledge and godliness. While this story is one of the most well-known, most interpreted, and most depicted passages in the Bible, The problem is that it is also one of the most abused and misinterpreted. For starters, the serpent is not actually depicted as evil, nor is it likely that it even symbolized evil. The fruit definitely wasn't an apple, if we consider the setting of the garden to be somewhere in the Middle East. And if we look at the Hebrew translation, the serpent clearly uses the plural form in addressing humanity, which means that both Adam and Eve were hearers of the same dialogue and both active participants in the temptation. We've taken a lot of liberties with this text in art and especially in interpretation. It's ironic that we've been tempted to widely misuse this text to argue a number of damaging ideas that have no basis in scriptures, such as the subordination of women and perceived evils of sexuality. This text is both simple and profound. The story is an attempt to think about the question of our human destiny. How did we end up here? How is it that we are so far removed from God? If we look at the narrative in chapter 2, we see a creating God that gets their hands dirty. A God that creates here on earth in the dust and the dirt. A God that is deeply connected to creation and humanity. God creates humanity to care for and till the earth that God has created. And in this simple fact, we find our created destiny— God made us to live in God's creation on God's terms. We had a purpose. We had freedom. We had connection. And all we had to do was follow one rule. See that tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You can eat anything else you want, 
There is lots of good food here, but don't eat from that tree. God doesn't give a rationale for this rule, and while we certainly speculated about the meaning and metaphor in this imagery, it's easy to overthink it. God established a boundary, and this boundary kept humanity safe and in line with God's purpose for us. And Adam and Eve treated it as a given until the serpent presented it as an option. And that's what temptation is, right? Temptation is the moment we're presented with a choice to do what we know is right and a choice to do what we want. And choices always have consequences. For Adam and Eve, the consequences were immediate and unfortunate. In choosing to take their lives into their own hands, they choose knowledge over trust. This knowledge for them manifests in immediate shame and anxiety as they become aware of their nakedness. It isolates them from God as they seek to hide in shame. And it separates them from each other as they blame the other and even God for the collective mistake. Adam and Eve may not have physically died, but shame, isolation, and anxiety are not what God intended for life. We ask of God, lead us not into temptation. But was God the tempter here? Temptation. It's the moment we're given an option. Sometimes a clear right and wrong choice, and sometimes a not-so-clear nice option with a better option. It's these less extreme temptations that we have to navigate on a daily basis. Should I go to bed? Yes. Would I rather scroll on my phone and catch one more good animal voiceover or cooking demonstration? Yes, I will go with that. Should I choose a snack that is healthy and that fuels my body with fresh whole food ingredients? Yes. Do I want french fries? Yes, I'll go with that. Should I drink more water? Yes. Will I ignore that fact, slip slowly into a state of dehydration, and live on coffee until I have a glass of wine with dinner? Yes. I am two years old, and my parents have put up a safety gate to keep me out of the kitchen. Should I stay where I am safe? Yes. Would I rather hurl my body into the danger of a potential death trap? Yes, I'll go with that. Temptation is the moment we're presented with a choice, and choices have consequences, positive and negative. Unlike Adam and Eve in our story today, the choices we make and the temptations we navigate on a regular basis don't generally make or break us with one decision. And maybe this is why I have a hard time thinking about temptation as a daily struggle. But temptation isn't just about the extremes. Temptation threatens our daily life when the choices we make lead us to lose sight of God's care and our created purpose. God created us to have an abundant life. But it's not hard to see that our collective habits are leading to death, literally. The average adult spends seven hours a day in front of a screen. For 8 to 18-year-olds, that average is now seven and a half hours for fun, which over the course of a year adds up to 114 full days of watching a screen for fun. 
This time doesn't include educational purposes. 46.3 million people over the age of 12, that's 16.5% of this country, country's population, met the applicable DSM-5 criteria for having a substance use disorder in the past year. More than a third of adults in the U.S. report symptoms of anxiety and depression, and we're seeing staggering increases in levels of anxiety affecting our children and teens. And for the second year in a row, we have seen the average life expectancy in the U.S. decrease. Finally, if you want to consider the creation we've been tasked to care for, natural resources are being depleted at an alarming rate, with 90 billion natural resources being exhausted every year and a projected two-fold increase by 2050. God created us to live an abundant life and is desperately calling us to do something differently. God is not the tempter here. Our New Testament reading today comes from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. No one who is tested should say, God is tempting me. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil, nor does God tempt anyone. Everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They are lured away and enticed by them. Once those cravings conceive, they give birth to sin, and when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. Don't be misled, my dear siblings. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. These gifts come down from the Father, the creator of heavenly lights, in whose character there is no change at all. He chose to give us birth by his true word, and here's the result. We are like the first crop from the harvest of everything God created. This is the reality of temptation, right? We all have cravings, something that lures us or distracts us, but the things that we crave aren't always inherently bad. It's when a craving becomes something that leads us away from the life that God intended for us. And this isn't just a problem for individuals to navigate. We have a collective responsibility for the reality that we are living in. God doesn't tempt us. God is the source of every good gift, the source of life. If we look back at our story of Adam and Eve, we see this. We see a God that cares for us and about us. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer poses a helpful way to consider God's providence in the garden. In addition to the connection and relationship that God has with humanity and the relationship they've been gifted with one another, God provides for humanity in several different ways. God provides vocation. Humanity is tasked with actively caring for the land and for the animals. God provides permission. Permission to explore the freedom and bounty of the garden as they please. God also provides prohibition. The opportunity to trust God and respect the boundaries that God has set up for life in the abundant garden. It's when Adam and Eve shift from tending and feeding to a concern for themselves that they lose sight of God's overriding purposes and gifts. 
When Adam and Eve choose knowledge over trust, it opens the door to the realities of fear, guilt, anxiety, and broken relationships. We cannot possess knowledge without wrestling with all of it. The temptation of Adam and Eve is not a historical recap of two individuals that gave into temptation and doomed us all to a life of depravity with one wrong choice. The story of Adam and Eve is a story about everyday human temptation and our struggle to choose life instead of death. Why did Jesus instruct us to pray, lead us not into temptation? Because every day, in decisions big and small, we are tempted to choose our way instead of God's way. The good news is that God is not the tempter. God is the giver of life. For me, it's easier to think of our petition if we rephrase it from a negative statement to a positive statement. Instead of lead us not into temptation, what if we prayed, lead us to your providence? Lead us to trust in your care and instruction. There's a limited series out on Netflix called Live to 100, Secrets of the Blue Zones. Um, I have watched all of it. Author Dan Buettner travels to the world to document five unique communities where people live extraordinarily long and vibrant lives, areas that produce more centenarians than anywhere else in the world. These places span the globe, from Okinawa, Japan, to the remote Grecian island of Ikaria, to Loma Linda, California. But these communities have four things in common. The people in these communities have connections, they have purpose, they are active, and they eat wisely. That almost sounds like the connection, vocation, permission, and prohibition that we saw God provide in the garden. Today on earth, in our communities, today, we see visible signs of what it looks like to choose life, the kind of life that God intended for us. People in these places, these blue zones, are connecting to each other by choice. They choose to share their lives with one another and care for one another. They're choosing to support their loved ones, especially the aging. They're choosing to work or volunteer to maintain their sense of purpose. They're making time to garden and to enjoy the bounty of wholesome food shared with loved ones around the table. They are tilling, tending, dancing, and laughing. God is not the tempter. God is not concerned with our calorie count or our waistline. God is not concerned whether we had one glass of wine or four. God is not concerned with our occasional desire to binge watch British baking shows. God is not concerned with one small choice until that choice affects our quality of life. God is concerned when our collective individual choices and our collective choices as a society affect our ability to choose what God intended for us. God created us to choose connection, purpose, and vitality. And if that's what we want to choose, we have to make some different choices. Our God is the God that did not let Adam and Eve die after they ate the fruit. Our God is the God that provided them clothes and guidance as they left the garden. Our God is the God that loved us so deeply that God sent their only son to earth so that we wouldn't die 
but instead have eternal life. Through God's word and through the teachings and life of Christ, God gives us the knowledge to know the difference between the things that bring us life and the things that don't. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are praying that God might point us to God's providence, to trust in God's care, and to choose God's way of abundant life. Will you join me as we close by praying the prayer that Jesus Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.